really encouraging news about this church. Now, when we read some of other uh, some of Paul's other letters. Um, we can see that there's real difficulties going on in the church. You know, when we read them, we're like, what the heck is going on in that church? But Philippians is different, isn't it? Because Paul is so overwhelmed with joy as he writes this letter to them. He starts off, it's a letter of thanks. You know, thanks so much for, you know, what you've done. But it's just bursting with joy because he's so excited about what has happened to this little church that he left, you know, 10, 12 years ago. How it has exploded and how strong it is. Um, And Epaphroditus has brought him this news um, and shared it with him. And Paul is completely uplifted um, by what he's heard. Now, over the last couple of weeks, Paul has been talking to them about um, continuing in their faith, going on in the way that they have been going on. He's warning them as well. You know, there are influences coming in from the right and the left, telling them, you know, you, you don't need to live like that, live like this. Or Paul's wrong. He was wrong. You need to do this. And he's been warning them. So last week, as Dan spoke to us, we looked back. Paul said, you know, look back at my life. Um, I, was, um, I was like the five-time Grammy Award winner for religiosity. You know, we had, um, Dan did that thing about Adele, didn't, she, didn't he, about how great she was and how she was announced. Well, if Paul was announced, it would be similar, you know. He's this and he's this and he's this. And he says, I had all of that but it was complete and utterly rubbish. It was, it was so nothing compared to what I have now with Jesus. And then we left off with him saying, not about the past, but the present. He said, but I'm going to press on now. I'm not just going to sit back. I'm going to press on to what God has for me. Remember, Paul was somebody who had seen uh, what maybe some of us will never see. He'd seen thousands of people come into faith. He'd seen churches birthed and grown, and he's heard about Philippi. He, he describes how he's caught up to the heavens in a vision of Jesus. He's had all this in his life, and yet he says, forgetting what I've achieved, that's not enough for me. I want to press on to know more of Jesus. And so this week, he's looking forward again to where they're going. So we're just going to start by just looking at one verse. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 3 and verse 20. And we're going to go back to the verses just before it in a minute. It says, but our citizenship, is in heaven as we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eagerly await. I wonder for a moment if you could just think about what you have ever eagerly awaited for. We can wait uh, not so eagerly, perhaps for the dentist. (laughs) But what what have you eagerly awaited for in your life? I um, set Jackie's uh, baby shower yesterday and 
they are eagerly awaiting the birth of their child, but there's also some, some natural anxieties there too. But I was thinking, you know, one thing I eagerly awaited was my wedding day. Um, it's really hard to concentrate on work when you've got something coming so amazing in front of you. Uh, maybe a son or a daughter's wedding would, would give you the same sort of feeling. You're, you're eagerly awaiting something. Or perhaps um, some of you might know a partner or a husband or wife who travels a lot. And that kind of sense of eagerly awaiting them when you know that they're coming home that night. I know um, with Ken and Liz, they're in our house group, and Liz says, you know, when Ken's away, when she knows that he's coming the next day, she's really, you know, she becomes like a little girl. She's really excited about him coming home. Now, they've been married quite a long time now. She still gets really kind of, ooh, Ken's coming home. And here Paul says that Ham... We eagerly await a saver, yeah. And um, that eagerly is literally to almost stand on tippy toes. Imagine you're in a crowd and you're just dying to see what's going to come in the future. And um, Dan, over the last few weeks, he's been doing this rope thing. I couldn't find the rope, Dan. I had a look. So I made my own. I thought, I can make a rope thing. So here it is. Mine's gold. Gold is for eternity. Yes. This white boring bit is for our lives. And uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay. Yeah. Mine's longer than yours, Dan. (laughs) And, you know, Paul is saying, you know, we're here. This is our bit. And we're eagerly awaiting this beautiful gold bit here. That's what we're eagerly awaiting to see. And um, we've got to say, you know, sometimes people look at this and they say, well, you know, what are you saying here, Louise? Are you saying that this bit, um, you know, if I'm good in this bit, then I'm going to get this bit? And that's not what we're saying, is it? That's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not, if you're good here, you get this. The gospel is simply this. That if you know that actually you can't be good in this bit, Jesus says, come to me and I'm going to give you this bit. It's the gift of God, isn't it? What does that verse say? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's to know Jesus in our very souls. To be in a place with no pain, no fear, no shame, No suffering, no injustice, no death, no grief for eternity. And and when we know this, when we know that this gift has been given to us, then this bit of our life is going to be lived differently. We're not going to live it differently to gain this. We're going to live it differently Because we have gained this. Because we know that we have an eternity before us. We are going to look at every event of life differently. We are going to appear different than our neighbor. 
when an event happens in our life and it can just seem to demolish us. It doesn't because we know that we look for something else. There is always hope. When a, when a situation arises that we think, there's no way I can cope with that, that is awful. And our friends look on our lives, and yes, we are grieved, we are pained, we are indeed deeply affected by whatever happens. We have this amazing ability to know joy in the middle of it. Because this is not all there is. We know that God is for us. We know that God is our rock. We know that nothing will ever again separate us for the love of Christ Jesus. So we eagerly await a saviour. And then it goes on, verse 21. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And that lowly bodies is... is um, I read something about humiliation, but it can mean weak or aged. And um, I know that as I get older, um, the idea of a transformed body seems a bit more desirable, shall we say. As we, as we get closer, our bodies um, start to groan, don't they? They start to creak a little bit, you know, in a way that they didn't do before. Um, if you have a little flick in your thing, um, go to 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. Um, <clears throat> Paul says in verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And this kind of idea of transform our lowly bodies also has the idea of groaning. You know, and as life goes on, maybe when we're here in our life, right at the beginning, you know that, you know, what's that about? Whatever. But when we're here, that seems a bit more important, doesn't it? As we groan, as our bodies start to decay. And it's not just our bodies, is it? As we, as we become older, we become more aware of things. We become aware that the world doesn't quite work the way that it should, that um, people aren't as nice as maybe you think they were. I remember when Emily was very young, she would always smile and wave at people as we went down the road. And um, she could never understand why some people didn't wave back. Isn't that a sad reality? As we get older, we start to realize 
that some people don't want to smile and wave back at us. But that's the world we're in. And as we go on in life, that kind of eager awaiting, that longing for everything to be under his control just gets deeper and deeper in us, doesn't it? So Paul's saying, our citizenship is not here. It's heaven. And if we're citizens, we look different. The other week, uh, I went back to a home of... um, Em's got a little friend in her class. They're an Afghan family. We went back to their home. Um, So they immediately went to town and bought us food and showered us with gifts. And that's kind of... You know, I knew... You know they're not British the second you walk in there. And it's not because they displayed their passport for me and said, oh, hello, yeah, we're not from the UK. I knew they weren't from the UK. They showered us with gifts. They couldn't do enough. We sat on the floor. We ate with our hands. There are some certain things that show that their citizenship was not necessarily here. And with us, Paul is saying, our citizenship is not here. It's heaven. So how are we different? How are we culturally different? How are we going to stand out? How are we different? Well, let's look back at verse 17. We're going to read that little bit before. Because um, remember, Paul is writing to them. He's very excited about their faith and how they're going on. But he wants to warn them of some things. So verse 17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have ours as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as we've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, is in heaven. Paul's saying, you know, we've got to keep our minds on the things of heaven. Um, He's saying, you've got to follow an example. He said, follow us. You know, if you're not sure, follow the people around me, the people that you've met, the people that you know are genuinely following Jesus. You've met us, we've ate with you, we've lived with you, you know as well. Follow our example. Don't get uh, pulled into other things. Now, these um, enemies of the cross, people are a little bit disagreed on what that might be. That could be, you remember there were those Judaizers, the people who, who wanted people. They said, yeah, you can follow Jesus, but you also need to follow some regulations of Judaism. You need to get circumcised. You need to follow these holy days. You need to eat these certain foods. Or we got the other people on the other side. Those were like the people who just said, hey, whatever, you know, we're saved by grace. We do whatever we like. Woohoo, it's a party and Jesus is coming soon. So we've got those two people. But Paul's saying, you know, find some people that you know are living with heavenly minds and hang out with them. And that's what we need to do, isn't it? You know, if we think that we're not influenced by those around us, we're desperately naive, aren't we? We're desperately naive if we think that. We only have to look at... um, 
subconsciously how we're influenced by advertising to know that we are influenced. Uh, I don't mean to keep using my children examples, but there's such good stuff there. <laughs> there's, um, this week, Emily, you know, she starts school. She, she, she has friends that are boys and friends that are girls. She likes blue. Okay, this is how she starts school. She's, she loves it. She now, you know, most of her friends are girls. She now is back into pink because that's what girls like. And the statement of all statements this week, Mummy, girls don't do sport. Yeah, I know. I thought, oh no, it's my influence. <laughs> and immediately Rob and I are like, what about, what about our other friends? What about Rachel? She likes running. What about Sarah? We kind of give her uh, strong women, sports women to think about. But we're influenced, aren't we? So easy. And we can, we can laugh about these silly things. But as Christians, we know if we look at our lives, when we've been at our strongest, it's generally because we're making it to church every week. We're attending a home group. We've got some friends that are really going for it with Jesus. Their minds are on Christ. They're challenging us. So Paul says, you know, if you want to live with your mind here... And not here, then you need to make sure you've got some people around you that are thinking about this. If you're, um, you know, standing at the school gate every day and everyone you speak to, the only thing they ever talk about, and this is, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of people, it's about decorating their home, selling their home, buying their home, extending their home. Then that's what you're going to start thinking about, isn't it? That's how your mind's going to start going. But if the people that you're standing with are going, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to go and help with Breakfast Club. It's really good. I just want to, I just want to tell you how I met this homeless person the other day, and I was just sitting down with them, and I was just speaking to them as a human being, and it brought me so much joy and so much pleasure to know that. Then that's going to be a different mindset, isn't it? When um, Francis... Chan, who came up with this illustration, when he talked about it, he was saying about how, because of here, so influenced, is so influenced by here, one of the things him and his wife did was when they um, started making money, they set a limit of $30,000 as their wage. So they set their wage at $30,000. Yeah, that's right, $30,000. And since then, he has earned millions. Millions. But their wage is still $30,000. And their millions is going here. Because he says, you know, when he travels to Africa and he sees a feeding program that those millions have helped with, That's people that now feed that wouldn't have fed otherwise. When he goes to India and he sees a water project, that's someone getting fresh water who wouldn't have got water. And he said it's hard, you know, sometimes when he visits massive millionaires' homes and he thinks, I really like the look of this, I would really like this. But he remembers he's not living for here. He's living for here. And we might not have millions, but it might be that maybe we're sponsoring a child And it could be 25 pounds a month where our children could get another pointless toy that they don't want and don't need. Or someone that I'm sponsoring could go to school that day. 
And that's a different way of just looking at life. So let's move on. Paul talks about living differently, that our citizenship is in heaven, our mind is on that. So firstly, surround ourselves by people who think heavenly things. Secondly, chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul's, he loves them, doesn't he? He says they're his joy and his crown. He's, they've brought him so much joy because they're living so well for Jesus. They're his crown because that's what Jesus has told him to do, and he's done it. Jesus has told us to do stuff. Have we done it? When we get to heaven, we won't be getting in because we've done it, but Jesus is going to be saying, what did you do with this bit of your life? Did you do what I told you to do? It's his joy and his crown. And he says, stand firm in the Lord. You know, he doesn't want them to go back. He doesn't want them to be persuaded by these people around them. He wants them to stand firm. And he says, he dresses them, my family, my brothers, my sisters, whom I love and I long for. And he's going to get a bit more serious now. He's kind of drawn them in. He says, I love you so much. And I'm going to tell you something bad. (laughs) So he says, verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche. That's I implore, I beg them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended, labored at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So, um, (coughs) what's his name? Epaphrodites has given Paul the lowdown on this church. He's snitched on these women. Poor ladies. Can you imagine now if you are them and you're sitting in this congregation and I read this letter openly to the church? (laughs) But he's serious about this, you know. He says, I love you guys, but you've you've got to agree. And I was thinking about this church. I was thinking, you know, this church started with Lydia, didn't it? Probably quite an influential woman. And, um, you know, then that, that woman who was demon-possessed, she became a believer. And, you know, there's probably quite a lot of influential women leading in this church. And Paul says about them, he said, you know, they're not young believers. They've contended at his side. Um, they're in the Lord. They, they're for the cause of the gospel. Maybe they're leaders. Maybe they're evangelists. And um, they're not agreeing and, and this is probably causing some division in the church. We don't know what it was. You know, it could be something small. But um, when that's starting, that's, that's not a good, good witness, is it? That's, that's not good. And he says he wants them to be of the same mind in the Lord. In the Lord, nothing else. You know, you can disagree all you like about strategy. You can disagree about how we do communion. You can disagree about where the chairs are going to be put every week. But in the Lord, you've got to agree, you know, 
This is the bit that's going to unite you. I was thinking, you know, families that are divided often come together, don't they, if there's a crisis. You know, suddenly they are united. We are going to deal with this. Paul's saying, I want the church united on this issue that Jesus Christ is Lord. We might have a lot of secondary issues that we don't agree on, but in one thing, Jesus is Lord, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus will come again. He is the resurrection, he is the life, he is the way. We are agreed on that. And he said to them, you need to agree, you guys. Man alive. Remember Jesus in his prayers when he was praying, what did he pray for? He prayed for unity in the church. He knew this was going to be a strategy that Satan wanted to use to rob us of joy. You know, it makes you pretty miserable when you know that certain people in the church are not liking each other or not getting on. And he says, yes, uh, verse 3, yes, I ask you, my true companion, and, and we, don't, we don't know who that is, to help them. You know, blessed are those who peacemake. This is what we should be doing as a family. Let's pull together and make sure that we are not disagreeing. Okay, last bit then. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And That always bit, you know, we can banter this around, can't we? Rejoice in the Lord always. But remember what Paul says here. He says again, notice that phrase, in the Lord, in the Lord. We see it coming again, again. Stand firm, verse verse 1, in the Lord. Verse 2, we plead with these women to be of the same mind, in the Lord. And then again here, number 4, in the Lord In the Lord we can rejoice. Whatever, you know, we're facing in our life, no matter how distraught it makes us feel, in the Lord we can rejoice. We have something. We are not going to, you know, when it says we're hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. It is because we are in the Lord that we can rejoice. We might be opposed but we are in the Lord. We are secure. We are firm. We, are, we have it. It will never be taken away from us. So in the Lord, we can rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Another sign that we are, have our minds on kingdom things. We are, we are the citizens of the kingdom. When people look at us, not only are we able to find joy in really difficult situations and hope, but also we're gentle. And that gentleness is, um, <clears throat> I was just trying to, it's the same word as kind of meekness. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And that meek is not weak, is it? It's not that you're gentle like, can I have your seat? Oh, yeah, have my seat. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's your seat. You know, it's not that. It's just like, it's not that you're just lying down and saying, yeah, whatever you like. But he's saying gentleness is, is like a courage. It's a courage of conviction. When someone says to you, when someone comes up to these Philippians, for example, and says, hey, you know, you shouldn't be living like that. Why aren't you circumcised? Why haven't you, why haven't you done that? And their gentleness, they can just reply, 
very calmly, but very assuredly, I don't need to do that. I'm saved in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's that calm kind of self-assurance that what you know, you know, and you don't need to argue about it. You know, sometimes when people, they want to fight about religion or beliefs or doctrine, and you get this person and they get all worked up, and like, how can you believe that? How come you don't believe in this, 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 and this? And you know, that sweat's coming off them, and they really want to fight with you. But no, 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 the gentleness just comes from a, just a quiet assurance. I don't need to fight with you about it. This is what I believe. This is what I think the Bible says. Have a lick with me. That's all I can say. And that's a gentle spirit that comes from us when we know that we are heavenly citizens. And finally, let's look at that last verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, before I talk about this verse, I just want to say, you know, this is not um, a verse that we should gently uh, slip into people's hands of those who maybe struggle with anxiety disorder. That's, that's something different. You know, like, 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 like shouting at someone depressed, rejoice in the Lord, it doesn't help to say, do not be anxious. It's a Bible verse. That just makes them feel guilty. It's like uh, giving someone who's got, um, I don't know, a broken leg, saying, it is your fault Pray, but it says very clearly, if you name it in Jesus' name, you'll be healed. Therefore, it is your fault. It's the same sort of thing. So just, just a little cautionary thing here. When Paul talks about anxiety here, he's not talking about an anxiety condition, a medical condition where you feel anxious continually, potentially for nothing and no good reason around you. And you know that in your mind, but it doesn't stop you feeling anxious. But Paul is talking about the everyday altogether, the anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And Paul knew about this. He wasn't saying it from a position where nothing ever went wrong for him. If you think about his experience when he was in Philippi, we remember he was told to go there, so he went. And then when he got there, what happened? He was beaten with rods and chucked in jail to rot. Now, he had to be thinking in jail, what is going on, Lord? Why did you tell me to come here? And now I'm in jail. Nobody wants to hear what you've told me to say. They're all angry and hate us. But Paul and Silas in prison, what were they doing? They were singing. (laughs) crazy guys. He knew what it was to give thanks. 
You know, I imagine Paul and Silas had a lot to say. You know, when he says, um, you know, by prayer and petition, that petition is like supplication. It's like pouring out your heart. You know, you're, oh, I just got to tell you emotionally how bad it is, God. This is, this is what's going on for me. And I want to be honest with you. And I want to tell you how I feel right now. And I want to ask you to change it. But then with thanksgiving, I know this. I know this about you, God. I know that you are my shield. I know that you are my redeemer. I know that you work in all things for the good of those who love you. I know that my, my salvation is secure in you. I know I have eternity with you. I know that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I know, I know, I know, I know, and I thank you, God. Gives a God different perspective, doesn't it? What a different perspective. And as Paul and Silas sang, what happened? There was this uh, earthquake. I heard someone say this is like God tapping his feet along. (laughs) And they're busted out. And then the jailer comes to faith. And this church that he's writing to now was a result of that. Now, would Paul have planned that? Would he have said, hey, I think a great idea would be to go and get beaten up, chucked in jail, He would never have said that. But he knew what it was to thank in all situations. And he's saying this to these people. And this is good for us. When we're anxious, this this is a great pattern for us. God, this is how I feel. And it's awful. And I need this. And I need this. I need this. But I'm just going to praise you now for the next five minutes of what I do know about you. What you are good. You are faithful. You are loving. You are merciful. I know that you are able to do something in this situation. I know that you are powerful. I know that you are faithful. And that gives us a completely different way of looking at things. And then verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, will shelter Prevent stuff getting in to our heads, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, to finish up. (laughs) Heavenly citizens, we look different. We are different. We hang out with other heavenly citizens because we need our minds on heavenly things. We make sure we're united We don't squabble over small things. We rejoice in every situation when everyone else is thinking, how can you even begin to rejoice in that? We're gentle with those around us. And whatever happens, we take it all to Jesus and rejoice in him.